Coming up on this episode, we're paying a visit to the Magic Emporium. Welcome to episode 289 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Jeff Adams, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, Rainbow Romance readers. Now, before we get to this week's panel discussion, we'd like to introduce you to another show from the Frolic Podcast Network. Here's Elle Penelope to tell you about her show, My Imaginary Friends. Hi, I'm Elle Penelope, and I'm an author of epic fantasy and paranormal romance. My podcast, My Imaginary Friends, is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. On the show, I give you, dear listener, a weekly look behind the scenes of my life writing and publishing books. I talk about creativity, inspiration, writing routines, this week's best thing, and more. One reviewer said, it's like sitting down with a writer friend to have coffee and discuss all the writerly things. So if you're an established or an aspiring writer, or a reader who always wanted a peek into an author's life, please check it out. New episodes post on Mondays, and you can find me at myimaginaryfriendsshow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. So back on January 14th, we had a live event for the release of the Magic Emporium series. We talked with author Megan Maslow about how she created the series. And in fact, Megan's book just came out this past week, and it's called Must Love Demons. And there's still six books left to release in the coming weeks. Not only did we get to talk to Megan in this event, but we also got to speak with authors Kim Fielding, Elliot Grayson, Jackie James, and Reese Lawless about their books in the series, too. We're going to kick things off uh, with Megan Maslow. Megan is kind of the mastermind behind this series. Hi, Megan. Hi. Thanks for having us. It is so good to have you here. So you are like the brains behind getting this off the ground. Tell us a little bit about First off, just what the Magic Emporium is. Okay, so the Magic Emporium is basically a magic shop that can appear in any location, but only once. And it can appear in any world, realm, time. It doesn't have any constraints on it, except it will only appear once. And it will only appear when a character is in dire need. And what that dire need is, I've left up for the other authors to define. So... And the idea is, is that a character or both their characters will go into the magic shop where they will be given an item. And I think in almost every story, if not every story, the item makes the characters go, what? (laughs) (laughs) And that becomes part of the story. So they get something, but it may not quite be what they want or or think they want. (laughs) that they think some characters don't know that they need anything they don't even know why it appeared to them they don't understand that they have a dire need at all and so surprise surprise they do others know that they need something but when they show up what they're expecting so for example if you have a character that's going to fight a dragon you go there and you see these wonderful swords and you're like aha but instead someone's like oh well here's your tin can or here's your feather where the character's like i but there's a but what, you know, and so each author tended to really like that idea, I think, of, of not letting their characters get their feet on the ground, so to speak. They're a little off balance with what they end up getting. And they don't know, each one gets a different kind of clerk, 
And if, if you're in a world like, you know, say it's Baltimore, and, and maybe you have shifters, but you don't have dragons, for example, well, you might end up with a dragon who's helping you as, as one of the clerks, or there might not be magic in your world, and suddenly there's an elf helping you. I try to give the authors as much freedom as possible, where they can really have fun with it. That sounds, I mean, as an author, putting my author hat on for a second, that does sound like a lot of really wonderful freedom to just, here's a store, yeah. have a nice day, and go make something cool from it. Well, the nice thing was I didn't have to be like, we're all going to write a story set in 2021 DC, and then you need to have either shifters, and then you have to have this. So it wasn't. it's not actually a shared world. It's really a shared concept, right? A shared item, a shared element. And so... If you want to put it in D.C. In, in 2021, you can. If you want England in 1859, you can. If you want a completely fantasy world, you can. And so it really gave the authors a lot of play. Where did this idea come from from you to not just maybe write a story about this or have a series of your own, but to decide to bring in so many others at the same time? So it actually started, funny enough, as a short story. And at some point during this, all of this, I'll give away the short story to readers who are interested in seeing where it came from. In ancient times, when my kids were real tiny, ancient times, galaxy far, far away kind of thing, I used to write mystery short stories a lot. And I'm still very big in Mystery Writers of America. I still have a lot to do with them. And so there's a particular volume that comes out every year of short stories, and they have different themes. And this year's theme was magic and murder. And I thought, well, if I can't write a short story for this, like, what am I doing? For old time's sake, I'm going to throw one in there. And I wrote it and it ended up at 12K. And it, it was all set in the magic shop. And it was about a murder that happened that was related to the magic shop. And so when it turned out to be 12K, well, the maximum was 8K that it could be. And I couldn't gut 4K from it. I mean, I really couldn't. It was a complete story. It was exactly what was needed. And I thought, well, darn it, <laughs> what am I going to do with this now? I guess I could self-hub it, but it's not, it wasn't a romance per se. It was leading up to a romance, but it wasn't. And I thought, well, this could so easily be a concept to use for romance. And then I thought, this would be a really fun concept to invite a friend or two on. And pretty soon I ended up with 12 different books and 14 friends on it. <laughs> <laughs> So it just kind of grew from there. I, I thought, well, maybe one or two or three people will say yes. But everyone kept saying, this is great. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, let's go. That's awesome. And it's a unique shared universe, I think, because you do have that element of you're not all writing in the same place at the same time. It's exactly. Just, you have the store. Right. And, and they don't have to then worry about all the details of, you know, what's in Reese's story of this. Oh, well, he added this here. So now I can't do this with that. You don't have any of that where everything has to be so consistent because Reese's world is totally different than mine. Elliot's world is totally different. Jackie's world is totally different. Kim's world is totally different. Mm -hmm. And even if it's set in 2020, none of them have to overlap. There doesn't have to be all of that. So in some ways it was great because it made it so much easier that we weren't tripping over ourselves and saying, okay, now we have to all read Kim's story this week so that we know exactly what she's put in. And we'll, and we'll add on from there when we go to Reese's story. We didn't have to do that. And that was a real gift, I think. Mm -hmm. In terms of the story itself, are there parameters about the store? I mean, you mentioned different clerks, but does the store look the same? Like, so, or is yeah, that up in I, the air too? 
Yeah, no, great question. The outside does not. The outside, on some stories, it ends up where you're, for example, you go to a strip mall, you know what the stores are, and suddenly, right between the, where they, you know, there should not be a store, there's the store. It can be, and one is on the side of a ferry mount. On another, they have, I mean, all, and the door can look different. Double door, single door, glowing door, doesn't really matter. Once you go into the store, only the front room looks the same. And all the stories and so we listed what those were and so people could use it and they all have to do a couple things but they all got to pick their clerks and they all can go to from there scatter into a different part of the magic emporium and they can invent their rooms from there they didn't have to then follow along in a particular way and so it gave them a lot of of leeway and it can be so it could be a serious interaction with somebody who's your clerk it can be a funny interaction all of that is up to the author that's amazing. Let's bring in some more people to talk about this and expand the expand to everybody. So welcoming Reese, Jackie, Elliot, and Kim now. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I want to come to each of you and have you introduce yourselves for anyone in our audience who is not familiar with you. And Reese, we'll start with you. Hi, everyone. I'm Reese Everly Lawless, and I write paranormal and urban fantasy, LGBTQ, L uh, urban fantasy, and Reese Lawless, and this is the capacity I'm in here uh, as today. Jackie, we'll come over to you. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm Jackie James. I write a little bit of everything. Uh, I write a little everything, a mix of contemporary, paranormal, but all of it is, so far I've only written gay romance. I haven't ventured into any other areas of LGBT, but that doesn't mean that's not coming next. So, Excellent. And Elliot? Hi, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm Elliot Grayson, and I also write a bunch of different genres of MM romance, um, historical, paranormal, contemporary Basically, whatever I'm not on deadline for at that moment is what I make the most progress on. So you can find me in any genre that I'm not supposed to be finishing that week. And Kim? I'm, I'm Kim Fielding. I'm here in California. I write primarily gay romance, although occasionally I wander off into horror or fantasy. And I write pretty much all of the genres. Excellent. And again, thank you all for being here. I want to dive in first and talk about each of your books. And then we'll talk a little bit more about the series. Jackie, with Night and Day, you kind of led the charge on these books coming out. Tell us about your book. Well, let me see. Mine is, mine starts off in the very beginning with the Emporium showing up. And I have just this really sweet bookstore owner who has always wanted adventure, but then when it came time to actually choose, he always kind of chose the safer way. (laughs) And he goes into this magic shop and he gets something that makes zero sense to him. First of all, he knows the shop shouldn't be there because it's in his town and he knows his town. And it makes no sense for this store to even be there. Then he goes inside and the store makes no sense. And then what they give him makes no sense. And so bless his heart, he's just a little bit confused. And... He's not happy with what he gets because it looks to him like maybe some kind of carved chicken foot thing. He doesn't really know what it is. That idea came. I have a local shop here in town that I absolutely adore. I don't really know what to call it. It's not really a crystal shop. It's not really a magic shop. It's Shauna would tell you it's just her shop and it's what she wants it to be. So that's pretty much what it is. 
And I went inside and she had a carved dragon head out of something that's actually called Dragonstone. And I would show you, I don't know if you can see on this camera, but this is the actual stone. And if you see from the top, it kind of looks like a chicken foot. It kind of does. Yeah. And so I saw that and I actually was looking down on it and I thought, oh my gosh, did somebody carve a chicken foot out of stone? But if you look at the side, it's a dragon's head. And so that's actually what he got is he got this carved dragon's head that he thought was a chicken foot. And so he kept trying to throw it away. And then um, because he didn't want it, but it kept coming back. It wouldn't stay gone. So then a guy from another realm shows up and come to find out he needs that dragon's head to complete his dagger, which is what I have here. My husband's a knife maker. So when he found out I had a dagger in my story, he had to make me a dagger. So that was really cool. That's amazing. So um, so, uh, he's a really good knife maker, but he made the the dagger for me. And in the story, that's the, the dragon head that my guy got, which is the day, the character whose last name is Noah's Knight combines with the dagger and that makes the dagger something special. And so then they get stuck in our realm and have to find their way back to his realm so they can save the king and save his realm. And it's just mostly about my poor guardian from this other realm being stuck in the human realm and just being amazed by things like televisions and cell phones and all of our awesome stuff that we take for granted. And he's just like thinking everything is really magical, right? Because things, it doesn't make sense to him how you can talk to people from far away. It's pretty cool. So Elliot, you've got the next story coming up. Tell us about brought to light. Well, the title comes from the item that my hitman character ends up with when he visits Marden's magic emporium. And uh, he gets a really cheap, crummy plastic flashlight, which I get a little bit into that joke. I don't know if you've heard it. It's not very tasteful, but sort of a joke about the difference between a cheerleader with an Uzi and a serial killer with a pencil and how afraid you are of one versus the other. So he's basically the serial killer with a pencil. He can cause mayhem with anything, including a plastic flashlight, as we see. But he's a very human ex-army badass, and he is, his target, his latest target is this pretty pretty young man with no history and it turns out Lyndon the other character is uh, not from our world so it's actually a little bit the opposite of Jackie's where instead of a fish out of water coming into our realm we've got a fish out of water going into a magical realm with this really practical really just I yeah he 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 just he solves everything quickly and possibly permanently and then he goes to this place where nobody can lie and there's talking crows and there's magic things and glowing things and flashlights that work without batteries and he just kind of is like well just tell me what to shoot guys like i'm out until there's something to shoot but so they go on a bit of a quest it's a fantasy and you'll have to read it to find out how that works out and how the flashlight ends up saving the day but it does of course because it comes from martin's so it's good to have a magic flashlight yeah well this one this one's deadlier than most yeah yeah because this is an elliot grayson book it's got a little gore it's got a little you know graphic violence because that's just how i roll (laughs) makes me happy 
And let me just say, I was so pleased when Jackie and Elliot signed up next to each other because Jackie is known for her sweet. Is not. Preparing for the book one and book two because they are so different, but and yet they had the opposite: one going into one realm, one going into another, and so it worked out great. I'm excited to read Jackie's. I bought it and downloaded it today, but I'm here with you guys instead of reading. So tonight, once the kids go to bed, Jackie, you and I have a date. So we know what you'll be doing when we're done here. Exactly. Well, feed the kids, feed the kids, and then collapse, and then read. Yeah. For sure. Now, Kim, you've got the Muffin Man. I have. Yeah, that and title uh, kills me too. Yeah, yeah. You know how could you can't you hear the song and you see this even track, of course. But I also have guys in different realms. I started off with fairy tales, and I was thinking about sleep and all the people who tried to rescue her and failed. One of my guys, Morley, is a prince who would really much rather be baking. His family doesn't particularly appreciate him, so they send him off for glory to try and rescue the princess, and it it does not work out well, and he ends up dead in the first chapter. But it's a really light and funny book. Uh, So he ends up dead in the first chapter in in that bramble, and thinking about the story was the pen, and it's hard to write about it when you're in the middle of it, and it's so emotionally fraught. But I was thinking about just some of the sort of ordinary ways people deal. So I have a character who uh, moved to Modesto, California, which those of you not familiar with it is probably like the, the least exotic place on the planet. He's stuck in Modesto, doesn't know anybody. He's working from home and he decides to try a little magic to try and brighten up his life. He's also been baking, as many of us have, as, as a pandemic hobby, he's been baking. He made some sourdough zucchini muffins. And by the way, there's recipes at the back of the story. He, he, he dabbles in a little bit of magic, ends up at the magic store in the strip mall, in, which is not what you would expect to find around here. And his item he ends up with is some raven feathers. And those raven fe- feathers end up bringing the, the guys together. And they actually end up spending time in both worlds. So instead of having one guy out fish out of water in one world, I've got them both fish out of water in, in a world. So... So we kind of covered the book. As you would expect from a Kim Fielding book. <laughs> and I'm not really surprised by the recipes either, to be honest. I couldn't resist. I mean, it's called The Muffin Man. And how can I not have muffin recipes in there? So I've got the muffin recipes. I, I, I mainly chose family recipes because I think those are really fun. So I have, I have my mother's onion rolls and a friend's Detroit pizza. So I, I think that's fun. And then, Megan, we come to you next. February 18th is Must Love Demons. Yes. And so mine comes from the original short story where in the short story, my main character, Nico, is an incubus. For those who don't know what an incubus is, it's basically a lust demon. But the thing is for poor Nico is that he he would much rather have happily ever afters than one night stands. And his magic is really messed up for an incubus. He makes people fall in love, which considering that most incubi really, they work for sex clubs and they get all the, the testosterone and the, and the and estrogen and all the, the pheromones going and all of this, Nico isn't good for business. This poor guy, like he's just, and he's seven, foot, seven feet tall and he wants to be a cherub because they go around and they bring love to people and he ends up apprenticed to them and he has to wear a toga and he looks ridiculous because, again, seven <laughs> feet tall. And he's, he's not, he's just not quite cherub material, which they let him know a lot. And he accidentally ends up, they have a, some new cherub technology, and he ends up getting himself lassoed by the Lariat of Love 
to a very grumpy warden who is sort of the this world's equivalent of an FBI agent who's on the trail of a killer. And the cherubs are obsessed with this particular warden. Every day they go and they shoot him full of arrows and it never works and it just bugs them. And so they're always, so he's coming to complain and all of this and they end up accidentally chaining themselves together and they can't seem to break the spell. And so then that puts Nico then in danger as they go through this whole mystery together and trying to find this killer. And it, it's a, it was such a fun story to write. I always say that I do mischief, magic, and murder. So I have to have a little bit of comedy. I have to have a dead body in there somewhere. <laughs> and I certainly need the magic. And so these two are, I guess you could say, in a sense, they start off as you know enemies to lovers. But it's really a forced proximity novel because they, they physically can't separate from each other. <laughs> you kind of had me sold with the idea of Incubus, you know, interning to become a cherub. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, right? <laughs> Yeah. And the cherubs are not near as nice as you would think they are. <laughs> so. I imagine that they could get kind of frustrated with their job sometimes. So I'm not really surprised by that either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They sure can. <laughs> and then Reese, your book comes out a little bit later in the group. You've got on March 4th, you've got Elven Duty. Yes. So my story has changed so many times. It all started, I did this online, not online. I did this picture that says, pick your name, pick your, the first, the initial of your first name, your birthday, your month. And it gave me this three keywords, if you will, like tropes. And I was looking for something to do with them. At some point I messaged Megan and I was like, what would you think about a dystopian retro? <laughs> world and then I changed my mind again so I ended up with a Romeo and Juliet kind of retake I guess with monsters and elves and a family feud that's as old as time itself and it just grew from there it's basically in a world where monsters are real there is there are these two families that hate each other by nature but they have to work together to defeat them and my one of my characters is doesn't know anything about this world but when his uh, grandmother who looks like an older sister maybe a mother turns up and tells him she's in fact his grandmother and drags him into this world of of magic of monsters and of unexpected love Nice. And there's some nice surprises in there, too. Yeah. A couple really great twists, I'm just going to say. <laughs> I'm intrigued by how you started it with the wheel that you pick this, pick that, pick that as a way to begin. It was, so I picked the thing. I kind of, I, I tried to find it when I started working on the series, cause, um, on the book, because I wanted to get the graphic out there to people. It it gave me enemies with benefits, monster, romance, and duty before love and it, it just grew from there i took loads of notes i did a little bit of free writing to see what else i can <laughs> fit in the world because if you read my reese lawless books you will realize there are kitchen sink urban fantasies because there's literally everything in the kitchen sink in it and i proudly own that uh, i do love my heavy plots and subplots and all the threads underneath everything so yeah Fantastic. Now, Megan, we've only got five authors here today. Who are the other seven who have books coming out just so that everybody who's listening can know the other yep. books that are yet to come? So we're really lucky in that we have Sam Burns and W.N. Fox 
are working together. This is the sweetest book they have ever written. I, I told them they should call it Pour Some Sugar on Me, about a, a dragon who owns a bakery. It's, it's very, very sweet. And then fifth is Rowan McAllister. This is her very first indie publication, so I'm very excited about that. I've been dragging her, saying, let's try it, come on. <laughs> and hers is great. Hers has a unicorn and a dark witch. And I should say that the unicorn, um, his job is he makes moonshine. So he's not quite your what maybe you're thinking of with the unicorn, but at the same time, she drew really heavily from a lot of the mythos around unicorns. And it and it's snappy dialogue. It's it's, it's really fantastic. She's number five. Then it's let's see myself. Then it's Reese. Then it's a brand new talent. She's not new to writing, but she's new to writing MM romance. And her name is Clara Merrick. And Clara is a fabulous writer. And she has written a piece that is sort of an alternate reality for England. And it's assuming that what would have happened if the Tudors had stayed in power and only had women for their heirs. It's very kind of Jordan Hawkish or KJ Charles-ish. It... Uh, she sucked me in and it's hard. And, and, I, and I mean, I was just there. Hers is the most, in some ways, different from the rest of the group, but it's really fabulous. I, I'm, I'm hoping that she receives a lot of readers from it because she really deserves it. So we'll see. I think it's, it is really neat. After Clara, we have E.J. Russell, the queen of paranormal rom-com. She doesn't disappoint. It's, hers is called Purgatory Playhouse about a guy who... Very briefly, he is he works on sets and he ends up working on a set for the gods. He doesn't realize that this is the set for the gods. He thinks they're all just dressed up in costumes. And the idea is that they every year put on a play and the people who are in purgatory put on the play. And if they do a good job, one of them gets to move on or maybe even two. I'm not quite sure yet, but she's got in mind. But if they do a bad job, uh oh, so he gets, the, the set gets destroyed. A couple of the gods get drunk and they start fighting and destroy the set. So he ends up getting called in and has no clue what he's walking into. So that's EJ's. Um, and then after EJ, we're, we go to Angel Martinez. And Angel's, I think she might actually have my very favorite title in the whole thing. <laughs> it's Joffrey the Very Strange. And it's about a necromancer and a half demon. And... All I can say is from, from seeing what she's doing with it is it just looks hysterical. You have a half demon who is, people are very biased against demons. And so he's always trying to prove that he's a good guy. And so he works in an herb shop because what could go wrong working in an herb shop? And a necromancer comes in and things of course go terribly, terribly wrong. <laughs> and so that's Angels. And then we have Ari McKay. Ari McKay is two people, but they've also picked up another pen name, which is Rachel Langella. And that's how they're going to, it's under the Rachel Langella name. That is now going to be their paranormal fantasy pen name. And all of their contemporary will go to Ari McKay. So it's actually Rachel. And they are going to set a story in their Asheville Arcana world. So it'll be in Asheville, North Carolina. And theirs is about a bartender. And I don't want to give too much away about it because it's kind of a twist with who even the characters are. But they're pretty excited. They started writing. It's underway. And the very last one is the lovely Gail Martin or Morgan Bryce, as she writes under. And hers, she's setting hers in Fox Hollow. It's going to be a Fox Hollow World Series. And so hers is going to have a lot of uh, mystery to it. There's a, there's a mystery that needs to be solved along with the romance 
So I don't want to, again, say too much about it because she, I, she hasn't said much about it yet to her readers. I love that you've got a couple books there where they're not only part of Magic Emporia, but part of other series at the same time for a couple of those authors. Yeah, it was really not a problem, again, because having it that open, mm-hmm. um, it made it so they could put it anywhere and then drop it into one of their series and it's fine. So that gave authors some ideas because they still wanted to work with these particular other series. And this gives them another way to do that. Mm-hmm. My next question kind of open to everyone is what brought you to this project? What about the magic Emporium? It was like, yes, I want to write something in that world with that store. I was really excited when Megan asked me to do it because I'm always looking for those books of writing prompts that you get in in creative writing classes in college or whatever, those are actually pretty great. And it's so much fun to have someone else do some of the heavy lifting for you on coming up with a concept to start a new book. And then you get to just run with it and play and see what happens. So that's what was really exciting for me was Megan did some of the work. I love Megan for that. (laughs) And for many other reasons too, but you know, and it's just, it's great. It's such a great spur to creativity to have something already set that you have to work around. For me, I love having a problem too. It's just that it kind of turns on the creativity faucet. And I have to say, I I can never I had so much fun writing a story. And I'm a I'm a pantser, so I was entertaining honestly as I was writing this thing. I hope it entertains anybody else half as much as it did me. But it was just so much fun to take this idea and just play. So that was really fantastic. Jackie, what brought you to this Magic Emporium project? I I mean, I said I wasn't going to do any more multi-author projects. But then Megan asked me, I mean, what are you going to say, right? I mean, come on. (laughs) It was Megan. So, of course, I said yes, which, I mean, I love doing them. This is like my fourth multi-author project, and they're actually a lot of fun. But I just had such a full schedule already that I, I said no more of that because it keeps interrupting my schedule. But You know, I let Megan interrupt it. So what else can I say? (laughs) (laughs) I, like Elliot, I and Kim, I love a good prompt. And I'm always looking for exciting projects because my my brain just won't stop brainstorming. And obviously I need more ideas. So when when Megan approached me, I thought it was an exciting thing to do and it would be an opportunity to do something different and come up with a different world. And at the time that uh, she approached me, I was thinking of doing a bit of a spin-off from my first urban fantasy series, but then I actually changed my mind and I wanted to try something completely different, something completely new, kind of like start fresh, if you may. So yeah, that was, uh, and also I love the freedom, the creative freedom that she gave us to do basically whatever the hell we wanted, as long as we put the magic emporium in when the characters needed it. And I really like that, yeah. How did you go about the process of deciding what the thing was that was going to be given at the emporium? That's such a central thing, right, of figuring out what the character is going to get and do they know what to do with it? Do they not know what to do with it, et cetera? What were some of your thought processes around that? And and Reese, you went just you just finished. So I'll just come right back to you to start that off. I tried to ignore it because or actually while I was plotting, I kept kind of forgetting about it. And then I ended up with a point in my book where I needed a, a solution to something. And I thought, you know what, that's the perfect, the perfect point, point for the, for the uh, Magic Emporium to appear. And I just let 
that inform the story and how it goes on after. And it so I, I was a bit concerned that I was going to forget about it and then I, I would have to slot it in. But it was actually quite a good thing that I did that because then when they end up in trouble, then I get that kind of Desex Machina that comes up, comes in and kind of saves the day only for for a little bit, for a little while. I like it's only for a little while that they save the day yeah. before something goes wrong. Yeah. I don't even know for sure. Like I saw the the thing in the shop. I've been trying to figure out what he could get that he wouldn't want to keep. I knew I wanted him to keep throwing it away and it keep coming back. But I couldn't figure out what I would want that to be. And then I saw it in the shop that day and I thought, well, if somebody just gave me that and all I saw was the top, I might throw that away. And then I didn't, still didn't know really what I was going to do, but you have to understand like, so he made this dagger for me, but he makes a lot of knives. This is like, I spend most of my time in front of the computer in my writing cave and he spends his time out in his forge. Like it's a lot of time. And he was doing something else with some knife and he was talking about what he could put on the end as a pommel. What could he do back there? And then it just clicked for me. That's what that could be. That could be a pommel for a knife. And then it just kind of went from there. But and then, like I said, once he found out I was doing that, he made me one. So that was pretty cool. And Elliot, I'll, I'll come to you next. Well, mine is actually due to a prophecy, but since that's kind of part of the plot twist, I'm not going to say too much about that. But really, the inspiration for me came from, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Gross Point Blank, but there's this moment that just inspires me in a way I can't even describe, where he's like having a total hysterical breakdown, and he goes, I killed the president of Paraguay with a fork! And that kind of just honestly is the inspiration for this character all the way through and sort of the most unlikely thing you could give this trained this train this man who's trained with weaponry and very on the ball and he always knows where his gun is and what's the most useless thing you could give this guy so that's where it came from and it's and it's a prophecy thing which again I won't get into but there's an evil sorcerer who thinks he knows what's going on and he turns out to be wrong and so I, I had a great time writing this book it was a blast from beginning to end my object is, is feathers, raven feathers. And I, I was also thinking about what's something that if somebody gave it to you, you'd go, what on earth am I supposed to do with this? What what possible use could you have for that? So, and especially because at that point, the character is being very skeptical about this magic shop. He thinks it's a bunch of people maybe cosplaying or something like that. So, and he's being ripped off. So part of it was that, but also I personally have, a, I, I like feathers. I have, I have, because of their association with quill pens, I have one tattooed on me actually. And so, so in a way a feather, although it doesn't seem to do much good, can have a lot of power in it if it's used the right way. So I think that's where I was thinking. And it may get back to you, who's the source of the whole Magic Emporium concept. Where did your item Well, so funny enough, mine in some ways is the most boring because it's a key. And I I said, really, it's a key? I'm a pantser. So I I started writing having no idea what it was actually going to be. I just said, I'm going to let the chips fall and see what happens. And when I finally realized, oh, it has to be a key, I said, well, I don't. I don't like to write something that seems like that's what key just seems like, oh, that would be super useful. So I have made this key, the most worthless key. They have used it for so many things. Every time they get in trouble, they're like, the key! And it never worked. <laughs> so that was, I thought, okay, that I can work with. 
but yeah, so it's just a little key and it ends up becoming very pivotal. I love all these origin stories. They're so cool. <laughs> just these, the way things come together. Now, Thea has asked an amazing question. Megan, I'm going to start posing it with you, but I'm going to want everybody's opinion on it and kind of how your particular character would play into this. Thea asks, is there an employee break room at the back of the Emporium where all the clerks get together for tea once a month? Funny you say that. So in the original short story that I wrote, there is actually a break room. (laughs) (laughs) And it has maps of all these different realms in it, and you can go there for snacks. And unfortunately, because of Nico's magic, there are two of the clerks. In fact, one person actually decided to use my set of clerks that are two dwarves that ended up together. And they're constantly making out in the shelves, like the shelving units and stuff. You keep finding them making out everywhere. And they do really, really, really terrible dwarf poetry, which is usually about beards and toes and weaponry. And so they would stumble into the break room. So yes, there actually is a break room. Nobody in the series that I can think of use the break room because they were never in the perspective from the the clerks. It was always your main characters. So I don't know that anyone saw a break room. But yes, there actually is indeed a break room. (laughs) That is amazing. So now I'm going to have to ask each of you what your clerks think of the break room and what some of the chatter is. So you're going to, all of you who are pantsers are going to be able to dive right into this idea, kind of making this up on the fly. So Jackie, I'm going to start with you. What's going on in your break room really quickly? I would say in my break room, they are just talking about how ridiculous it is that every time a person from this realm comes into the Emporium for any reason, they're just absolutely nerds and they make the most stupid cosplay Lord of the Rings Harry Potter jokes. And they're kind of a little bit tired of it. That's what I think they're talking about in the break room. I love that because probably everybody's thinking Diagon Alley and stuff like that. So, (laughs) Reese, what about you? What's happening in your break room? So my clerk, I used used the character from an upcoming story. And she probably plays a lot of poker because they banned us being the bottle because she keeps stealing everyone's kisses. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of poker happening when the, when it's empty and quiet, and there's a lot of gambling. So far, <laughs> nobody's having tea like Thea mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, how about your break room? I think, actually, to go back to what Jackie said, they have a chalkboard on the wall with running tally for how many times Marden, the proprietor, gets called Dumbledore. That's actually what my character calls him. And I think also they would be having tea. And my clerk, I, I gave her a very well-endowed bust line. And she probably goes in and complains a lot about all the guys who can't keep their eyes on the merchandise. <laughs> That's awesome. And Kim? My, my clerk is a vampire. And she finds our world... She's kind of patronizing. She's kind of like this jaded tourist who finds the, the locals kind of quaint and adorable. I think in the break room, that's what she's talking about. Oh, such active break rooms. And and Thea was okay with it. Snacks, maps, bad poetry. It's a happening place back there. <laughs> so as we get towards the the end of our time together, I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to tell what's coming up next for them that people could look forward to after the Magic Emporium books. So Kim, we'll come back and start with you for that one. Um, in March, I'll have a short story. It's a retell. It's called The Grave Mound, or no, just Grave Mound. I just settled on a title. And it's a retelling of an old grim fairy tale, but 
in outer space. (laughs) (laughs) Elliot. Well, I actually have a book that just came out yesterday, or maybe Amazon put it live the day before, although they were being so laggy, but that's uh, First Blood. It's a standalone novella in my Mismatched Mates series, which is sort of paranormal urban fantasy, basically just my id coming out to play. Lots of horrible violence, lots of snarky banter, some magical socks. First Blood has a really grouchy vampire enforcer and the young prostitute he wants to get blood from and then kind of spirals from there but that's out now and then i've got a contemporary coming out sometime in march i can't really talk too much about that since it's a shared world project and it's under a contract i need to need to turn in my manuscript before i can give too many details but it's very exciting and then i'll have more mismatched mates books coming hopefully finish out the series with three more books this year so that's my plan excellent reese how about you funnily enough i my the first half of the year is uh, made up entirely of shared projects. <laughs> it's I uh, obviously my next book uh, coming out is the uh, is Elven Duty part of this series. Then in April I've organised an urban fantasy anthology with Megan is included and some other amazing authors, but we haven't made the announcement official yet. Then in May my book for the world of True North is coming out, and Elliot is part of that. No, that's my yeah, yeah. it is. That's, yeah. that's my project. I can't talk too yeah. much about because I don't have a manuscript. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm writing it right now, and then for the rest of the year, I'm trying to finish two of my contemporary series and then move on to some Reese projects. It's it's a bit of a gamble for the rest of the year, but that's yeah. And I, I, I love how you've gone from working in shared projects to starting your own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That actually started last year during the first lockdown in the UK when I was pretty bored, but I was working quite a bit. And yeah, it just went on from there. Yeah, quite a bit, I think, of shared universes were born during the pandemic as people th- got to sit around and think a little bit. Jackie, what's next for you? Next for me, after this comes out in March, I believe, fingers crossed I get it done in time, I'm going back into my Bodyguard series. I released the first one in that last year and then went back into another of my contemporary series for a little while, and now I'm back on my Bodyguards. So I have four of those that should be coming out. And then I don't know what is after that. I'm trying, this will sound opposite of what people always say, but I'm trying to plan less. I'm kind of an over planner and an over scheduler. And so I'm trying to kind of be a little more, let me get this series finished and then we'll just see what happens. I don't know. Fantastic. And Megan, (laughs) we started with you and we'll wrap up with you. What else is on your calendar that you could tell us about? So my next, I'm next up with Reese and, and hopefully get April and I won't say too much about it. I will say it is a, an urban fantasy fairy tale. And because I like to be contrary, I decided to pick Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> and it's been a little bit of a wild ride, but it's been a fun story to write. And after that, the next one up will definitely be another Twig and Quinn book. It's mostly finished and it's, that one is you know, it's always it's like putting on a pair of your favorite socks. So I'm happy to be going back there for a bit. And then I have a frenemies to lovers coming up. Probably I'll probably push it back to the fall realistically. And I'll have a bunch of audiobooks coming out as well. So it'll be a fairly busy year, I think. Fantastic. Well, yeah. Megan, Reese, Jackie, Elliot, and Kim, thank you so much 
for spending part of Magic Emporium launch day with us. It has been so wonderful to have you here and learn more about this fantastic sounding series. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us here. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the discussion for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And don't forget, the show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. It was really fun to hear how Megan decided to create this series, and then how each of the authors took the idea of the Emporium and just took it and ran with it. It's worth the moment to go watch the video to see the dagger that Jackie actually shows that was her inspiration for it. Her husband really made an incredible piece of work there, so go check that out. All right, I think that'll do it for now. Coming up on Thursday in episode 290, it's the February Big Gay Fiction Book Club episode featuring Awkward Love by Riley Hart. I got so swept up in this story of Will and Jameson finding their happily ever after. I can't wait to talk about it next week. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, please stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our original theme music is composed by Daryl Banner. Thank you.